This morning we uh, begin a new sermon series, and in fact, actually tonight, we also will be picking up a new series, actually continuing our work through the Belgic Confession. Uh, You're invited and encouraged to join us in that work, some things from a very ancient document that are very applicable to today's circumstances. But the new sermon series we're going to be starting on through the summer is just looking at some of the, the parables of Jesus. Those stories that he told in order to help us better understand the kingdom that he was bringing. And so we're going to start today by looking at the parable of the sower. It's found on Matthew chapter 13, 1 through 23. Uh, The words are on the screen or you can find that in your pew Bibles on page 972. And of all of the different reasons to start with this particular parable, uh, you'll see later a photograph of the image we have on the front of our church of this parable. Uh, Many people have seen that many times have never really realized that that's what that image is. And if anybody knows the background of where that came from or how that got chosen to be a part of our church. I would love to hear that story at some point. But for this morning, uh, Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 23, we hear and look at our first parable, the parable of the sower. The text says, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered around him so that he got into a boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see. And hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, their case... In in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. 
As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it, provide, it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Every once in a while, I get asked the question, why did you choose to become a minister? And that's a question I love to answer. Because I love to look back on my life and reflect on all of the many things that God used to shape me into the person that I have become and to the calling that I've been given by his name. I look back on a church that I was baptized into that was faithful to their baptismal promises. It was a place where I felt welcomed and encouraged and had opportunity to explore my faith and to grow in the programs that they offered like cadets and youth groups. I look back at the Christian school that I attended and the way that all of my education was shaped and grounded in a faith in Jesus Christ and how that impacted all of my learning. I think about specific events like camps that I attended where I heard the testimony of individuals that greatly impacted my life or mission trips that I went on where I felt like God was using me to build his kingdom. And in all of that, I see how God used those different events and experiences to shape me into the Christ follower that I am today. And yet, as much as I celebrate that for my life, therein also lies a particular struggle. Because I never went through any of those experiences by myself. And in all of those events, there were classmates and friends that were right there with me experiencing the very same thing. And yet today, they no longer attend church. They want very little to do with Christ's calling in their life. And in fact, some of them are antagonistic and against the faith, wanting to oppose it in every way, denying and rejecting the foundations of their life. And I know what I've experienced, you've experienced as well. You can think back to the youth groups that you attended and the people that were there every single meeting eagerly involved. You would know at every event they would show up and yet you haven't seen them in years because they no longer show up or participate. Or what's even more, two people raised and grown in the very same families, the same environment, the same parents. And yet one celebrates their relationship with the Lord and another walks away from it. They have the very same experiences. They see the same things, but their response is completely different. Why is that? And how are we to understand that? 
Well, in many ways, those questions of how it is that people can experience the very same thing and yet have completely different reaction is the very setting for the text that we're looking at this morning. Leading up to, and especially in Matthew chapter 12, we see Jesus, the very Son of God, come to this earth, and he is doing incredible things. His teachings are done with authority, and so the crowds gather around to hear them. And he does miracles. He removes lifelong ailments from individuals, healing and restoring them. He drives out demons. And yet, even though the very Son of God is revealing himself in different ways, the response of the crowd is completely different in a lot of ways. There are those like the disciples where every time they hear Jesus speak, every time they see him perform a miracle, this is another confirmation that he is the son of David, the long-awaited Messiah here to reveal God's plan for their lives. And yet there are others, like the Pharisees, who see Jesus do these miracles, driving out demons, and yet their reaction is not to celebrate him as the Son of God, but to ask, is he demon-possessed, as they do in Matthew 12? Is he driving out demons because he himself is a demon? They see and experience the very same things, but have very different reactions to what they are experiencing and seeing. And in a lot of ways, this leads us exactly into the setting of the parable that we hear of the sower in Matthew 13. One of the main reasons that I said, not just because of the photograph that's, or the image that's on our church, of looking at this as our first parable that we're going to study is that important question that the disciples ask after Jesus tells this parable, which is, why? Why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus pauses and he gives an important background to why he's speaking to them in parables. So, as we will find, a parable, by definition, is a made-up story that is taken from real life circumstances from which a moral or spiritual application can be drawn. Or have some have kind of dubbed it, it's, a, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And it was one of Jesus' favorite methods of teaching. But in asking why Jesus taught in parables, we give a, a lengthy interlude between the telling of the parable and his explanation of the parable. And in that interlude, Jesus gives the purpose for teaching in parables, and that's because it's going to divide the people. Jesus explains that for those like the disciples, they will be able to hear the parable and understand it. They will have ears to hear the point that is being communicated, and it will deepen their appreciation for Jesus for who he is and for what he is doing and calling them to do in this world. But then there are those like the Pharisees who think that Jesus is demon-possessed that won't be able to understand. And the reason for that is, is twofold. On the one hand, it's, it's their fault. 
Their ears are closed. They don't want to hear this. They've rejected it intentionally. And the lives that they are living are such a life that they will never be able to get to that point where they will be able to recognize Jesus for who he is and to truly receive his words as the very words of God. But on the other hand, using the prophecy of Isaiah, it seems and is clear that God is also hardening their hearts to hear. That because they are not part of the elect, they never will be able to hear or understand who Jesus is. God is preventing that from happening, and that is taught in Romans 9. God's sovereign decree doesn't include these individuals, and by the telling of these parables, it will become clear who is in which camp. And we need to hold the tension between those two reasons, their fault and God's sovereign decree. Because Jesus in his decree, I mean, God in his decree is not allowing some of these people to truly appreciate what they are seeing, but they are always fully responsible and culpable for that themselves. But in saying that, notice the emphasis of the text. It's not on those with hard hearts, but on celebrating those that do have ears to hear. Verses 16 and 17 of our text talks about how blessed the disciples are because they are getting this opportunity to hear and see things that people have longed to hear and see for many, many centuries. And they understand. They get it. What a joy to celebrate the fact that even though they were born in sin, God has opened their eyes to recognize that Jesus is there to rescue them. All of that background then leads into the parable of the sower and its explanation. And it too helps address those big questions. Why do different people see and experience the same things but respond to them in different ways? And so you could say, you know, the parable talks about a sower. So maybe it's the sower's fault. Maybe the, the sower isn't putting enough seeds out there and they're just restricting it to such an order where, where it's only possible for those certain people to hear. But we recognize right away that the sower is not in any way, shape, or form stingy with their seeds. They are willing to scatter it wherever it can possibly go, letting, letting their seed fall in areas where it never would even have the chance of growing, but nevertheless the seed is still sown. And it's clear in the application that Jesus is the sower. And he is liberal in letting people see what he's doing and hear his proclamations. The seed is going forth and they are all experiencing them. And so it's not the sower's fault. So another alternative, well, maybe it's the fault of the seed. Maybe this is bad seed. It doesn't have the power or the strength to really produce the fruit that it's supposed to. But without going too far into all of the different details, it's clear that that's not the case either. Because when it does find any soil within which it can grow, it grows. And it grows in abundance when it finds the good soil. And so the emphasis clearly is on the soil. The environment within which this seed is either allowed to grow or not. And so in looking at the different soils, it basically boils down to two different kinds of soil. There is the fruitful soil and the unfruitful soil. 
But within the unfruitful, there are three other categories that Jesus explains and reveals. And so let's go ahead and look at those three categories, those three different types of soils, those three heart conditions that people have when approaching the seed of the word. The first type of soil that is described is the hard heart, the hard soil. This is the, the earth that's been walked on continually over and over again, and so the dirt almost becomes like cement. There's nowhere for the seed to go into. It can never be developed. And what does that look like in real life? Well, in the context of these parables, in many ways, this is the Pharisees that Jesus is referring to. And they are a hard soil because they've got life figured out. They know the answers. They know who the Messiah is going to be. They know exactly what to expect. And so since they have life figured out, there's no room for Jesus to challenge or interrupt that. And so again, going to the context in Matthew 12, when Jesus does a miracle on the Sabbath, they say, well, we know the Sabbath is holy. And therefore, if this person is doing a miracle on the Sabbath, he must not be holy. And therefore, we should reject him wholesale. And this is something we have to be careful with. We get life figured out. We have our, our lenses completely established. We are firm in our beliefs. And therefore, we can be at risk of times of missing out on the great work that God is doing because we're not open to new things, new ideas, and new ways that God is working. We have to be discerning but we also can't have such hard hearts where we've got life so figured out that we dismiss or miss his work and his word. Another way that you could be hard soil is by giving yourself over to sin. The Bible often talks about those that have given themselves over to sins as those with calloused hearts. Like a callus on your hand, when it's continually rubbed over and over again, it gets hard. And this is where the Holy Spirit tries to tell you what you are doing you know is wrong. And over and over again, you say, be quiet, I don't want to hear it, I'm going to do what I want to do. And so your heart becomes hard to hearing the whisper of the Holy Spirit in your life. And because it has become calloused and hard, the Spirit can no longer speak into your life because you've told him no over and over again. And in the parable, what happens when the seed falls on the soil, the, the birds, which is the evil one, come and snatch it up and immediately, and it can have no real impact on a person's life. They've seen, they've heard, but it's made no difference. But don't miss, the seed was still sown. The second soil is the rocky ground with the shallow soil. This is the person that has that moment of hearing the word and receiving it with great joy. Who doesn't want to have their sins forgiven? Who doesn't want the great promise of going to heaven when you die? Those are wonderful things. So of course, when you hear that good news, you want to receive it and be excited about it. Until, 
until you also learn that with the rewards and benefits of the kingdom, there also comes hardships and challenges. Until you find out that there are people in the world that will mock you and ridicule you and question you because of the fact that you have identified yourself as a Christian. Until you realize that there are things that you can't do any longer if you truly are going to call yourself a disciple of Christ. And you have to give up things that feel important to you or that your, your sinful, selfish tendencies were drawn to. Or that there are places in this world where you will lose friends and family members because they reject your relationship with the Lord. And for those people, as soon as they realize that there is a cost associated with accepting the message of the kingdom, very many of them say, okay, that's it. I'm out. I'm interested in the benefits, but I don't want to pay any of the costs. And so they walk away from the faith because they don't want to deal with things. It's wonderful to grow in your faith when you are celebrated and encouraged. But when you go into a world that's going to question and challenge you, that is the test on whether or not your seeds of faith will produce fruit. And again, according to the interpretation of the parable, there will be many who, when trials and struggles come, will be more apt to walk away than stand firm and deepen their relationship with the Lord. But again, the seed was sown. The plant grew. There just was no fruit. The third soil is the thorny soil. And Jesus explains, this is the one who hears the word but cares but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the world, the word, and it proves unfruitful. Again, this is a place. The seed is sown. It is also, once again, received, and it grows. But the person hears, so the person hears the gospel. They are excited about much of what the gospel has to offer and what living for the kingdom can do for them. And they are so excited that they want to and are ready to grow in their faith. That is, once we finally get this business deal taken care of, then I'll have time. That is, once my children are, are established in school and they're out of the house, then we'll have time to grow in our faith. Once this busy season of life is over and I've gotten past this particular burden, once this series of shows that I've been watching is done, then I'll have time to really develop faith. And the reality is that there is so much in our world that pulls for our attention, that pulls at us for our devotion, that cries for our time and our money and our resources and our very hearts. And in all of those distractions, so very often, the thing that gets crowded out and dies away is our relationship with the Lord. We don't have time for Bible study. We're too tired at the end of a week to go to church. It's too much labor to get dressed up and come here. Let's just skip it. And so the faith gets choked out and dismissed. I think it's a wonderful time to reflect on that truth. That truth that though we have all of these things. The call is to seek first the kingdom of God. 
Because unless we give ourselves and cultivate our faith, again, another agricultural term, cultivate our relationship with the Lord, all those other distractions have the real possibility of choking out that relationship. And again, no fruit, no impact will be born either in our lives or passed on in the values of others. But again, the seed had been sown. It just never had the opportunity to truly bear fruit because it was never a priority. Well, having looked a bit at the negative, now Jesus turns our attention to the positive, which is the real focus. And at this point, again, the question could be asked, is it the fault of the sower? Is it the responsibility of the seed? And we can say clearly, no, it's not because good soil exists. And when the seed of faith finds good soil, it just blossoms and grows and produces a harvest that is overwhelming. 30, 60, 100 fold in response. When the seed of faith is planted and lives are changed, it has a powerful impact on the person who receives it, completely changing who they are. And again, the stories can be told because we've seen them and we know them, how the gospel can completely turn someone's life around and we say, there is fruit. And then they go forth and they spread that hope that they've received with others. And they tell others and it grows and expands. And again, as we see the kingdom growing and expanding, we say, there is fruit. God is at work and his message is being received. Now, in all of that, I confess, Jesus gives me the easy job. He explains all of this. Nothing that I've said is barely unique or new. But what are we supposed to do with it? How does this apply to us today? And there are a few things I want to wrap up with as we ask that question. First of all, if the parables were meant to hide things from some and to reveal things for others, it helps to divide who is in and who is out? Who gets it and is producing fruit? And who are those that are just on the periphery, not fully engaged? As we will discuss tonight, there is no third option. The kingdom is an in or out thing. So where are you? Have you heard the message? And has it impacted your life? Is your response this morning, yeah, I, I've heard this a hundred times before, no big deal. Or are you being challenged and convicted and encouraged this morning? And that ties in very closely to the second thing that I hope this parable does. And that's what it was supposed to do in its original context, to encourage people to ask, what kind of soil Am I? And again, now is a great time to encourage you in that conversation with so many of you this week having had great experiences at Mount Hermon or High Camp where seeds were planted and you got excited about your faith and now you are returning to your normal life and the question is, are you going to allow that experience to grow and to deepen or as soon as you walk back into your normal lives or the things and the responsibilities going to crowd out that development. 
So now's a wonderful time to say, how can I, in my regular life, prioritize my relationship with the Lord so that I am growing and cultivating a deeper, better walk with him? And that's not just for those that attended Mount Hermon in a high camp. It's a question and a concern for all of us. Again, many of us have stood exactly where Dustin and Katie have stood and made a promise to our children that we're going to instruct them and we're going to lead them by an example what it means to be a Christ disciple. This is a wonderful opportunity to say, how are we doing that in our homes? Are our homes a place where the seed of faith is being encouraged to grow, where it is watered and cared for and cultivated? Or is the example that we are setting that we will give God some time when we have time, which never comes? For all of us, what type of soil are we? What type of ground are we cultivating for the seeds? Are we creating environments where faith can deepen and grow? Or do we let persecutions, a hard heart, or the problems of this world to crowd out that faith? But finally, in some ways, and this will sound odd, I hope this message gives comfort. Because of where I started, there are those of you that have been Sunday school teachers or youth group leaders to people that you have shared the same message with and were received in very different ways. And I'm keenly aware of, and I pray desperately for those parents that raised children in the very same home. And yet the responses of those children have either been different or unfortunately all of them have wandered from the faith. And you struggle, what did I do wrong? What could I have done differently? Is it my fault? In many ways, the message of this parable is, the work of the kingdom is hard work. And not all people who see and experience the same things will respond. And that's not our fault. We have the job of working with the sower who is liberal with the spreading of his seed. Never hear me that this is a reason to just dismiss and allow people to walk away without chasing them. Scatter those seeds over and over again whenever you can and however you're able to. Keep spreading the seed. That's what our God does. That is what we are called to do. Keep confronting them with the truth of the gospel. But in the end, it is only the Holy Spirit that is going to soften their hearts to finally receive that message. And so as we do the work of participating with the sower in spreading the seeds and praying for a fruitful harvest, we also trust that it's until God breaks those hearts, until they recognize the things that they've been clinging on to that they have to let go of, that that lives will truly be changed. Jesus wasn't able to convince everyone and change every life, and neither will you be able to. But as we join in that work of creating environments of good soil and spreading the seeds of the gospel, we pray for a fruitful harvest. May this church be a place where faith can grow and where the harvest can be seen. 
Toward that end, let's have a word of prayer. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we grieve as we imagine you did with those that have seen, that have experienced, that have heard. We know, know, and yet no fruit has yet been seen. Or we thought we saw a plant for a while, but it quickly withered up and died. Lord, I want to thank you for your grace that is so liberal that it continues to pour out, it continues to call, it continues to sow seeds in places where there is hard hearts. And I pray that as we recognize that as your work, that would be the work that we join in, that we would liberally spread those seeds of the message of your kingdom to a world that's so desperate to hear it, and that when we do, it would be received. And so we pray through your Holy Spirit that hearts would be softened, that lives would be changed, and that we, to the best of our ability, would be able to create environments where faith can grow but we relieve the results in your hands and we trust that you will bear and bring fruit where the seeds find good soil. And Lord, if we hope to be good soil, we pray that that fruit would be seen among us in our faithfulness to you, in our desire to share that news with others. Use us to build your kingdom. This we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.